Well, welcome everybody to the Ask an Accountant podcast, where we demystify accounting by simply asking your pressing questions from the industry's best and brightest. My name is Tony Wilson, your host, quirky friend, and total accounting nerd. Today, I'm joined by my South African turned Californian friend, Zane Stevens. Zane is the founder and director of Protea Financial Services an outsourced accounting solution focused on serving businesses in the wine industry with 10,000 cases or lower in production. Zane, welcome to the show. Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this, is, uh, this is pretty cool because I've been watching all the episodes like in preparation for this. And like your guests have been really, really great. Uh, they seem a lot smarter than I am. So today could be, uh, you know, could be interesting. Uh, people might be a little a little shocked uh, with the South African humor as well. I, guess. I mean, but that's the that's the great thing about having you on the show is you are South African, so it's just gonna it's gonna be a unique flavor for sure. The other thing that you've got in your favor is you 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 can really you can talk a lot too, right? Like that's that's gonna go in your favor. <laughs> I, I do like to talk. Um, I've always got a lot of, to say. I have a lot of opinions, so we'll see how this one goes. That's that's right. Um, one opinion in particular, which I think is great, is you have an opinion about um, job titles. Like when you moved from South Africa to here, you said something about job titles and Americans. And you want to expand on that? Yeah, I just don't get them in the U.S., right? There's just a ton of these like job titles. In South Africa, it was pretty, pretty simple. You know, you're an accountant, maybe a senior accountant, you're a financial manager. Really easy to follow what you're doing. And then I come here and I get all these sort of like controller and, you know, director of finance and like all this BS that I don't really understand. I don't particularly know if anybody else actually understands what it means. Um, and my favorite is just like the, the, the term VP, like everybody is a vice president. Like, what does it mean? Like, are we important or aren't we important? Or is this something we're throwing around? Probably a little bit of all of that for sure. Yeah. I, um, it's funny because like I obviously grew up in the American market, so I just assume this is normal. But I think you're right. I, I do like the more simple approach to our naming convention. Well, you think about it, it's like it's like the term or like the concept of inflation. Only it's like title inflation. Like if everybody's a director, then like who's really a director, kind of thing. So yeah, there there definitely feels like at some point people are like we need to make people feel better and we're just not going to pay them more so we're going to make up a bunch of titles so people feel good about themselves mm -hmm. yeah what, what's the the old saying if you can't give a person a raise give them a, a promotion exactly right like that's what it feels like yeah that'll do it that'll do it well i will just say um like many of my prior guests you also share a passion for teaching and education um, you have a YouTube channel uh, that's called Protea Academy. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, Protea Academy. Um, you know, when I was coming out of high school, I wanted to be a teacher. So that was sort of like my first passion. And I was basically told, don't be crazy. You're too smart. You're not going to get paid enough. Go become an accountant. You're really good at numbers. So I went into that. That was great. Uh, when I was doing my postgrad, I had an opportunity to teach at high school. You know, sort of I taught business and accounting to sort of eighth to 12th grade helped a bunch of you know kids get through their exams who had had a hard time i was there like for my for my seniors i was like their fifth or sixth teacher in four years it was ridiculous wow. um you know they've been through a lot so i got to do that 
when I was at KPMG, I became a certified trainer. So I had opportunity to train people both on technical topics as well as soft skills. So I've had all these opportunities throughout my career to teach people accounting and just get to a point where I'm trying to help people better understand what's going on. And when I started Prodi, I always thought, hey, what a great opportunity it would be other than helping people with really good financials. How about if we could help a broader audience by giving them good accounting information? Mm. So, you know, we've got a bunch of really good contacts, a lot of content on our blog post. And we thought, hey, as a first step, we're going to turn this into some words because, you know, these this day and age, people are lazy and don't particularly <laughs> want to read things and have a short concentration span. So right. if we turn it into video with words, we can turn it on in the background and we can hear it. Um, I'm fortunate enough, my team member down in South Africa, her name is Michelle. She's got a passion for teaching as well. Before she joined us, she sort of made a decision between us and going, taking up a, a lecturing job at the university. We're fortunate that she she took on, took us on and um, we took that passion. We said, hey, what, won't you help us with, with, with this YouTube channel? So and her, her and I collaborate on different topics and we put a bunch of content out there. It, it's sort of grown a little bit. You know, there's not just... Uh, the educational stuff we have conversations about some real topics interviews with uh, team members uh, i go live every now and then to you know just share some of my thoughts some of my opinions they're normally zane four or five rants. minutes <laughs> they are zane, zane rants for sure um and you know we've got a lot of cool stuff coming this year i'm, I'm really excited about some of the stuff we'll be releasing in the second half of the year so for everybody listening if you want to be in the know, you want to be in the loop, go and subscribe to the Protea Academy YouTube channel ASAP. You don't want to miss out. There's lots of cool stuff coming down the road. So, Yep. And don't forget to subscribe to this channel. Oh, thank you. Yes. You yeah. also should subscribe to this channel because, you know, we cover yep. amazing things like accounting. So. <clears throat> yep. And go like them. And if you're watching them, like them. Tell your friends you're watching them. You know, the more you can tell people about it, the further it goes. Share, 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 share. And hey, and if you're just a if you're just a buddy of Tony and you don't care about accounting, just push play on the video and let it yes. play in the background. Yes. Views are important. Guys, I'm up to like a hundred views on one of my videos. It's like, oh, this is so great. Okay, real quick, what you see, what you hear in the background is uh, probably the fire department. Just moments before we hopped on here, Zane looks over. He's like, I think the Panda Express is on fire. Yeah, I'm trying to see. It's definitely stopping there. <laughs> oh, boy. Sorry, nuts. So, I mean, the fire department is nearby. So, like, I hear sirens all the time. 99% yep. of the time, they're going to go deal with, like, the homeless person who's got out of control. But, yeah, they're in the Panda Express parking lot. Whoa. So, something, something going on. Somebody so, is cooking like crazy. So, yep. If you're in Nevada, California, and you plan on ordering from Panda Express today, probably not happen. <laughs> not going to happen. Your order will be delayed. But what will not be delayed is I would love to hear, Zane, if you could tell us a little bit about your story. You're coming from South Africa to the U.S. You started Pratia Financial, but um, it didn't happen overnight, obviously. So talk to us about your story. How did you get here? Yeah, so started my career out in South Africa, worked at KPMG, um, after that moved to a listed subsidiary in the technology space, you know, so from audit environment to consulting into, you know, corporate job, you know, level below CFO was effectively my position looking after a big team. Um, my wife at the time, my wife at the time was working at a winery, punctuation so important. And um, they were owned by American owners. They really liked her. They thought she was a hard worker and they needed a CFO in California. 
So they offered her a job and an eight minute conversation turned into, sure, why not? Let's go try it out. Let's give it a go. You know, we had nothing tying us down at that point. Uh, it was just the two of us, uh, you know, no kids at that point. So we thought, well, yeah, let's go give it a go. Uh, headed over to California. I started by working for the same company. Um, I came in as sort of an analyst position doing exit strategy planning, effectively. We're building models to see if we start this new winery project, how long before we can get to a point where this is worth selling and what would that, you know, what would that buyout for that, that owner be? So that was where we started. What ended up happening is we realized like we got all these investments, but we don't have anybody to do the work, which is a problem. So we looked in the market for a while. We weren't really happy with what we saw. It was either expensive, poor quality or both. And, you know, we came up with a smart idea like, hey, we could do it better. I know a few people back in South Africa that I could reach out to. A lot of them are trying to re-enter the workforce. You know, they've, they've had kids and now their kids are old enough and they're looking to sort of find something else to work with. And I reached out to, to one of them and said, hey, any chance you want to take on a few hours of work? Uh, I was very happy that they said yes. You know, one of the people I was a college with, a lot smarter than I was, and it was good to be able to, to bring her on board. And that's how we started. You know, just a couple of projects that we were, you know, the ownership group was dealing with. And just a little bit of word of mouth, we started growing. Uh, in the early days, we sort of took on anybody, you know, friends of friends and this, that, you know, we've got, I mean, two of my first clients was a beauty brand product and a group of barber stores which are still our clients eight years later, they're still with us. Um, but obviously coming from the wine space, we grew a bit of a niche and you know, we got a bit of expertise in that. So we spent the first four years really developing internally and deciding, hey, this is the way we wanna do stuff. And this is the processes and this is what we're gonna focus on. Mm. And it was very important to us to make sure that process works before we took it out really to the market. Mm. In that first four years, we sort of grew to you know, seven or eight employees maybe 30 clients, nice growth. Um, and we really focused on our processes. So we're a little unique because I do have an office in South Africa, back down in South Africa, wholly owned subsidiary where a team sits. The idea is that the local people here in California are the contact with the clients. We talk to the clients, we ask the client questions, we're the ones submitting information to them. But we're supported with a team in South Africa and they're doing the work. So effectively a structure where you have a junior doing work reviewed by a senior, senior does work gets reviewed by account manager account manager takes you know total control of the project mm -hmm. and is responsible for the final product it allows us to create segregation of duties and give higher quality work and we're able to use the time zone differences to advantage you know because they're they're working while we're sleeping yeah which is so 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 nice and then one thing that you had mentioned too is like because i'd asked you i was like so you're like kind of technically outsourcing to south africa and you're like no like this is our company yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of people who, you know, offshore for a lack of a better word are using some third party provider. You know, people will be like, yeah, there are employees. Well, they're not really. They're employed by somebody else. You know, they're managed by somebody else and they're, you're just effectively sending them work. These are our people. You know, we have an office down there. We've got an HR department. We've got a, you know, we've got a hierarchy with a management structure. And, you know, I talk to every, every team member once a month. You know, this morning I had two phone calls with with team members in South Africa, you know, checked in how they're doing, you know, how's work going? We're, we're going through appraisals at the moment. How did your appraisal process go? You know, what do you want to do for the next six months? 
So it's our team. It, you know, we're all you know one big company. We just happen to be on, on two continents. That's so cool. That's so cool. And Protea specializes in primarily the wine industry, right? Correct. Yeah, it's about ninety-five percent of our clients at this point are in our, our wineries or wine businesses. Yeah. It really is our focus. You know, the last sort of year, I've mostly turned away work that's not in that space. Mm-hmm. A couple of exceptions here and there. Um, you know, if I have a winery owner who's like, "Hey, I've got this other business. Can you help us?" I'm probably not going to say no. Mm-hmm. You know, why not make their life a little bit easier and have me have to come to one point? Um, but I'm not chasing other business. Um, you know, our internal training is all developed around the wine industry. You know, we talk about the wine industry all the time, and we we really do focus on marketing on that space as well. And you know, one of our biggest skill sets is our inventory costing, which is very specialized for the wine industry. So that's Super sort of fascinating. We keep that. You know, that's important to us. So that's where we can add a lot of value to our clients. So because of your expertise in this field, I actually have a lot of pressing questions. We probably won't get to them all. Sure. But I do have a couple. Is it okay if I ask you? Can I can I probe? Of course, I, I, you know, it's one of my favorite topics to talk about. Um, if you go to our YouTube channel, you can find a, a presentation I gave to the Virginia Wine Growers Association. It's about 90 minutes where I go dig deep into the cost of wine, uh, you know, into the cost of a bottle of wine. Yeah, that's well, I mean, you heard it here. Accountants enjoy talking about accounting. If you didn't know that, that's what <laughs> we're exploring on the show. So I've got my first question for you, Zane. So we've talked in previous shows of we've uh, account, the Ask an Accountant podcast. We've talked about cash basis and accrual basis of accounting. Um, I'm really curious to get your perspective on why this topic is uniquely important for the wine industry. Yeah, I mean the the cash versus accrual thing one was really unique when I came to the U.S. because this wasn't a discussion back in South Africa. Everything was accrual basis, so it was definitely one of those topics that I had to learn. I. I'm of the strong opinion that if you have inventory, you need to be doing some form of accrual accounting. It doesn't have to be full on gap, right? I like to call it gap-ish, which CPAs, uh, you know, go, what the heck is that? Yeah. Um, and I've got a, you know, my favorite example is always like, I'm not going to tell a winery owner to straight line their lease because, you know, they're going to tell me to be yeah. both. You know, <laughs> you know it's, it's never going to be a good result. So. But you need to understand what that inventory costs. And the wine industry is really unique as well, right? So, you know, sort of October, the the growing cycle starts. And it's going to be a whole year before you can pick those grapes. And then most of those grapes, before they get into the final bottle that goes onto the shelf, it's probably going to be another two years. So that inventory has a three-year cycle before it's even ready to go anywhere. So if you're just expensing things as they as you pay them on the cash basis, there's no way for you to understand what you, what your cost of goods are on the bottle of wine that's sold at that point in time. So you have to go with some sort of accrual accounting. And it is tough because, you know, vast majority of the wineries we're dealing with for tax purposes, you know, have to go cash basis. In reality, it's actually the hybrid basis and they have to show some sort of inventory anyway. Mm-hmm. So you might as well get your bookkeeping and your operational accounts correct. Mm-hmm. You know, for one, it'll make that tax process a little bit easier Number two, without really understanding the cost of that inventory and what it costs from, you know, dirt to bottle, how do you know your margins? Mm. How do you set your selling price? How do you make a decision about any sort of marketing program if you don't know how much margin you have to give away? So a cruel basis for wineries or any company that's dealing with inventory, for me, just is so, so important. 
Hmm. And it doesn't have to be a perfect gap accounting. It just needs to be on a cool basis. Yeah, that's, that's so powerful. And I think something that I learned as I was talking with you, yet another reason why accrual accounting is so important, it has a little bit to do also with like the operating cycle. I mean, you touched on it when you said the three-year piece, but like if we want to contrast that to something that's a very transactional business like e-commerce or I don't know, say like you're a restaurant or something like that, where it's like as you are collecting, you're, you're, you're selling something and you're collecting money immediately, something like the wine industry, your cycle, your operating cycle is so long. The last thing you need from a management perspective is to only have books that are on a cash basis. Like accrual basis is going to be what drives better decision making in the moment because you don't have the cash, you know, right away. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, because of the operating cycle is a very cash heavy business. You know, there's tons of jokes about, you know, if you want to be a billion, if you want to be a millionaire, you know, open a wine business when you're a billionaire type of thing, you know, it's just, it burns through cash in a really, really quick way. Mm -hmm. And because of the aging process, there's just so much of the cost of goods that if you use the cash basis, you're going to lose it. You just it's going to disappear in, into to history, and you'll never understand if how much margin you're making and if you're, you're you're covering your costs. And because it's a complicated system as well, people you know I think it's easy for for winery owners to think, hey, I got my grapes, got my cost of my bottle, my label, my closure, easy, right? Mm. No. What about the facility that you needed to Ooh. use to make? Good. What are you about the people that you have to employ to do that? Hey, what about those barrels and tanks that you age the wine in? You know, it's all these overheads that people forget about. Mm -hmm. And it can be a material number, specifically when they're growing production. If they're early on, like, hey, we're going to be a 5,000 case winery at some point. But my first vintage was 1,000 cases. My costs are, are fixed. Mm -hmm. And now I have to share, like, share them over 1,000 cases. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that, that can be a fairly big number. Oh, yeah. Uh, even though, you know, to each bottle when you bring it down to the bottle level um you know it's it's just tough it, you see it so many times and it's always been a difficult industry to take price increases as well people are really scared to increase the price of wine mm -hmm. uh, especially for those wineries that are very heavily into distribution because distributors are going to push back right there's there's 10 and a half you know eleven and a half thousand wineries in the u.s mm -hmm. like there are plenty of options we can go to so if you increase your prices we're going to walk away and, you know, that can scare a winery owner because like, oh, my word, they, they're selling 20% of my wine. If they walk away, well, they're not going to walk away. That's just a story to try to keep the prices lower so that those those salespeople don't have to do the hard work on, on the back end. Yeah, that's good. Um, we actually just had a live question come through. This may be the first wow. time I'm asking it live, but shout out to Serena. Thank you so much for submitting this. Funny enough, Zane, you and I were just talking about this before we went live, and it has to do with the impact of the last two years. COVID on the wine industry. So the question goes, I wonder how wineries were impacted, especially the last two years. I wonder if some people of um, some of these wine, uh, wine industry uh, business owners have to ask some PPP loans to keep operating. What has been your perspective on the impact that COVID has had on the wine industry? Yeah, well, and thanks for the question. That's pretty cool that we got one. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely don't get that on my channel when I go live. Um, <laughs> You know, COVID has been an interesting space for the wine industry, right? There's a lot of people that actually benefited from it. Um, you know, a lot of them were heavily weighted in distribution. And when, you know, when COVID went down, people were quick to help people that they like. So if there was a winery that they liked, they headed out to that winery's website and try to see if I can buy wine online. 
right? I've got all this extra disposable income. I can't go to a restaurant and buy that glass of wine for $20. Well, why didn't I buy that bottle of wine for $20? So we definitely saw some really nice movement for wineries that were able, either able to sort of adjust their release to get cash in the door around the early stages of COVID, which helped a lot of them. They're able to move wine, even if they were discounting it or paying for shipping, you know, doing all these, you know, things to try stimulate uh, business at that point. But it was just so much better margin, right? Because if your bottle of wine sells for $20, you're selling that same bottle of wine to a distributor for $10. Mm-hmm. So if you can sell it for $20, your margin is just going to be better. So we saw a lot of people, even though their revenue went down, their profits went up because now the gross margin is a little bit better. So they had more gross margin dollars. So there was a lot of benefit. Not saying that people didn't hurt. Um, There's a lot of wineries that did hurt. You know, we're fortunate that none of our clients closed down because of the pandemic and they did a really good job. And we are also very fortunate that we had a bunch of wineries who were very early on to virtual tastings. So they were, you know, in front of the trend as well and be able to do all of that. Hmm. We did do a lot of PPP work for clients to try to keep people in jobs, you know, tasting room jobs. Like there's no tasting room, there's no job type situation. Hmm. So we, we, we did do that. It was, you know, it was a very interesting period of time. I had to do a lot more studying than I ever thought I would have to. Um, but we we're really happy. Every PPP loan we applied for for uh, one of our clients was approved. Hmm. And on that first round that went really quickly, we had 100% success rate with applications as well, which we were really, really proud of. And awesome. being able to keep people in jobs just shows how important the accountant role can be. Yeah, that's huge. You know, two major things that stood out to me in what you were just sharing. Number one, I would never have thought about that dynamic in how the wine industry would have been impacted. But you're absolutely right. Like people's disposable income, like they had so much that there was a pent up buying capacity they weren't going to restaurants, they weren't doing these things. And so like you said, it's like, well, they still want to enjoy alcohol, right? So mm-hmm. being able to go direct to the the wineries and the, you know, the vineyards that they, they love, they've come to lo- learn to love, um, that direct direct consumer channel, it's so much more profitable. It's just harder to get to in a normal business context. But yeah, I think, I think the big part about it is right, there's a lot of like, experts out there for many years are being like, hey, wineries have to be harder. We've got to get into digital. We've got to get into digital. We've got to get into digital. And, and the industry is just like, ah, people will come to us. People will come to us. Don't worry about it. And what happened during the pandemic, it forced the wineries to go digital. Mm. So what happened is the wineries got to where they needed to be at that point in time. Though if it wasn't for the ban- pandemic, it might have taken 10 years for them to get there. Interesting. So there was a lot of like talk how they're falling behind other, you know, alcoholic beverage brands, your spirits and beer specifically, mm-hmm. but the pandemic will help them eliminate that um, a lot of the way. Yeah. And the government helped as well, right? You know, the rules around alcohol in this country are, are nuts. And yeah, they told like, can I share a really, really quick one in where I live yeah. in Minnesota? It wasn't until about a couple years ago that we were, uh, we finally started to be able to sell alcohol on Sundays, we were like a very, very strict place. And then then wow, we can now buy alcohol on Sundays. It was like, oh, everything just changed. We still can't buy alcohol in a grocery store. Like people don't understand, like this is not normal for us in Minnesota. Like you go to a grocery store, you get near beer, you get four, three beer or whatever, but you can't get actual like alcohol at a grocery store. It has to be a separate establishment. Weird laws, 
it's it's a whole thing that's a whole different topic but you're absolutely <laughs> right it's it's a strange place here in, in america yeah i mean i remember the day back in south africa we go to grocery stores on a sunday and there was like literally cages pulled over because they wouldn't sell alcohol and that wasn't too far you know too far back either so it's not surprising and i mean minnesota is still one of the easiest days there's some really complicated ones out there i believe it i believe it well let's uh something that you had talked about before you had mentioned the term costing and i'd love for you to just expand a little bit about it because i've heard it i'm familiar with it maybe people have heard about it before but what can you tell us about um this term and why it's important to a winery owner like what are the implications if costing isn't done properly for a winery owner yeah so costing is is the method of trying to figure out based on accounting practices, what that bottle of wine costs. So it's taking into your input costs and figuring out what is the final value of that product. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, the easy ones to identify is the juice, right? It's the grapes or the bulk wine that you're purchasing. Then it's, look, you look at the bottle and you go, actually, probably have one right behind me. I could have pulled that <laughs> if I was more prepared, but, um, you know, the glass is easy. You can see the glass. You understand that it costs there. There's a pretty label on it. You understand that, that that's going to do it. You know, there's a cork or a screw top. You understand that that's a part of it. But then it's the other stuff that people don't think about. It's how is that wine manufactured? Mm -hmm. And the winery owners hate when I use the word manufactured, but somebody has to manufacture that wine, right? That wine has to go from a grape. It needs to be pressed into a juice. It needs to go into a tank. And then it sits around waiting, right? A bunch of stuff happens, you know, there is an art to it. Um, you know, those guys are already smart. They, they'll do stuff I'll never experience, but there's a process to get there. There's a facility where that's housed. It's the equipment that needs to go in. And those costs need to be allocated over time. So obviously the longer it's, you know, in a barrel, the longer it's in the tank, the longer it takes to get into the point where it's in a bottle and ready to be sold, it's gathering costs all the way through. So it's the process of doing the accounting on a monthly basis going, these are the total gallons we have at month end. These are the total costs for that month. Let's allocate those costs. Mm -hmm. Now, the vast majority of them, you'll just go total, you know, cost divided by total gallons, but then there's some specific costs. Like I did lab testing on that vintage. Great. That is a specific cost. Mm -hmm. So it gets a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of science behind it when you're looking at allocated costs versus specific costs and you build that over time. Then you add your bottling costs, and you've got this, you know, you got your total cost of goods. And it's super important to know your costs because you want to understand what your margins are. Oh, yeah. You know, if I'm going to sell it for $20, how much did it cost me to make the, the bottle of wine? Right. And, you know, that's a place where then you can either make a decision, hey, do I need to price it higher mm. or do I have to find a way to reduce my costs? That's right. That's right. And it really, that's really what it comes down to, right? It's like if we don't have good costing, if we don't have good accrual accounting, it really ultimately impacts a good educated decision. Right. Like you were saying with the pricing, like yep. how do I know if $20 is the right price point for my true cost here? And, and, you know, one thing that we talked about before too, is um, a hidden cost, something you don't always think about, uh, you know, in any inventory business, but probably especially in the wine industry is spoilage and shrinkage, right? Like I'm sure not everything makes its way into the finished product, right? Yeah, that's a little of a complicated one because you actually don't make any adjustment for it, right? Because oh. there's going to be natural evaporation or if it's in a barrel, there's going to be, you know, the wood's going to take some of that, that wine with it. Mm -hmm. So we don't really make any adjustments. You just keep your costs. And then at the end of the day, there are just going to be less gallons to put into bottles, right? Uh -huh. So you then figure out the bottle cost. So you gather in the cost all the time. You don't do a specific write-off. Um, 
in the imagery at all, unless you're going to throw it away. Uh, sure. Like something went terribly wrong and then you just have to toss it. Yeah. And then you can't just toss it though. You've got to get TTB approval and they actually will send somebody out to watch that you're actually Whoa. disposing of it so that, you know, they want people disposing of wine and then selling it. Right. Oh, so, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah, guys. They want the money. If there was ever a plug for why it's important to hire somebody who knows this industry, it was that statement right there because I had no idea. I want to reiterate again and again and again, we have amazing people on our show who have great insights into their industries. I am a certified public accountant. I'm an active CPA. Had no idea about that regulation. No clue. So hiring a person like Steve, working with a place like Protea Financial is why you work with specialists. These people know their stuff. That's so cool. Um, Zane, I've got one more question. I, I wish we had more time to get through all the questions. <laughs> you know what I think we're gonna have to do is for all the questions we didn't get through, we're gonna have to have you on the show again and we're gonna have <sighs> more questions. If I have to. <laughs> okay, I guess, if I twist your arm. Um, so I'm trying to pick the best of the questions. So we touched a little bit on these other ones, but I think maybe one like kind of a, simple one maybe simple maybe not i don't know um but it's something near and dear to my my heart tax and uh so the question is you know when we talk about tax most americans are assuming we're talking about income tax like that's the thing that's mm -hmm. on top of mind that's usually what we think of when we think about tax time it's income tax so my question for you zane is is that the only tax that winery owners should be concerned about in their business yeah, unfortunately not. I mean, I wish it was that straightforward. There would just be some sort of state and, and federal tax, but there's a lot more to it, right? Um, in the wine space, you have excise tax. So there, there's the tax on effectively just having the wine. Um, and then if you're selling into different states, there's going to be sales tax if you're selling, selling to individuals. So there's two complicated taxes over there. Um, you know, you learn about it pretty quickly in the wine industry because you can't sell wine without a license. And then once you get that approval in that state, they send you plenty of notices to remind you to, to pay for it. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it is it is a complicated space, right? We'll help people as far as we can. But when it gets really complicated, we'll find somebody that's smarter than us to do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, nexus laws over the last couple of years have become crazy as well. Mm -hmm. um, so for any business that's not wine, like nexus laws are important. Mm -hmm. The winery, the laws around wine actually supersede the nexus laws. You know, so if you go to a state where there's a, a threshold for sales tax and you're not going to hit it, but you're registered in it, it doesn't matter in the wine industry. You still have to charge sales tax. Really? Because you're selling wine in that state. Wow. So very much a lot more complicated because the wine rules are much more stringent. That's fascinating. I would never here here you think about like the American tax system and it can be really confusing because what you even just talked about is you're selling to different states and so therefore different sales taxes. Just a quick plug, if you weren't already aware, sales tax is not a federal concept, it is a state concept, it's a state tax concept. So you're talking about working with multiple different states, everybody's got slightly different rules and like you're talking about with like Nexus, like I'm sure you go to one state and it's gonna be a different limit and another state it's a different thing and it's a mess. And then you throw Wayfair into the whole situation, it's like, whoa. Yeah. Luckily, there's a lot of good software out there that will do a lot of the thinking for you, That's but you can just you know, throw on the overlay on, on your website and it'll take care of it for you, thankfully. Mm -hmm. um, but you still got to monitor it. You got to have somebody you know, paying attention 
and then you got to go do those registrations and some of them can be rough i mean they basically want like the birth certificate of your firstborn child to be able to <laughs> the state like it's crazy yeah um but yeah you know get a specialist when it comes to taxes excise sales tax income tax um and you know for all the non-accountants out there not all of us do taxes amen amen I, in fact this is a quick shout out to uh, lucas sandal uh, who is going to be a future guest of ours he great accounting couture he's got a nice little shirt that says accountant i don't know if you've seen that little like I know, little yeah. asterisk and then down below it says doesn't do taxes or something to that effect i'm like yeah. i am it's gonna great buy i'm gonna buy that shirt and i'm gonna wear oh. it when we interview oh yeah he's got a uh, he can make a ton of money just by like printing a bunch of those off there'll be a ton of us that will purchase it i know i know i love it i just absolutely love it well zane in addition to loving that shirt i've loved our time together having this conversation you're just a wealth of knowledge and uh, yeah. well i mean i think so i got a little bit up there <laughs> you got a little bit yeah that's true that's true um well i really appreciate you coming on the show uh if if, if i've learned anything it's if I've got questions about the wine industry, Zane is my guy to go to because he knows a lot about, a, a little bit about a lot of things. So, that's a good way to put it. That's a, that's definitely a way. So before we leave Zane, I want to give you an opportunity to speak to and give some words of wisdom to an audience group. Okay. So this audience group, these are wine industry business owners. These are wineries and they're just sitting here and they're listening and they're just waiting for words of wisdom to come from Zane. So Zane, as an accountant, as a business owner, what words of wisdom would you give to those people? I mean, my number one piece of advice is go get yourself an accountant. Um, you know, if you're, and this is not just for the wine industry, but really for the wine industry specifically, um, get yourself accountant early. Um, it's complicated. You want it to be accurate. And I can promise you from, the eight years of experience at Protea, it is a lot cheaper for us to do it the first time and get it right than to try clean up a mess that's been in place. Um, it just, it, it is so hard to unravel things if it's been done incorrectly. And honestly, you can use that time in better ways. You can go sell more mm. or you can take the time for yourself and relax. You don't have to kill yourself trying to keep a set of books. Yeah. Not worth it. That's really good. That is excellent advice. And I feel like for some reason, I feel like I've heard similar advice on our other, our previous podcasts as well. And there's a reason for it, right? You work with professionals, you save your money, save money in the long run. So Zane, great advice to wine business owners, wineries uh, that are out there. So again, Zane, just want to say thank you so much. You are able to be found on, was it Facebook, LinkedIn? Like, where are you at? Where are you at for people? Yeah, I mean, check out our website, proteofinancial.com. It's a great place to go. Um, you know, we, we post blogs every week. So there's a lot of great content that comes out over there. Uh, as mentioned, we have the YouTube channel, Protea Academy. You know, go subscribe, watch some videos, give them some likes, uh, share them to your friends. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Zane Stevens. Um, we, that company has a LinkedIn account as well. We put a, a bunch of really good content out there. Uh, we've got a Facebook account as well less active, less great information, but it's available. We also have a, a Twitter account. Uh, mostly that is just reposting all of our, our blog posts, make it easily accessible for people. Um, and that that's pretty much, I mean, I'm a good place to start. If, if you're looking looking for a little bit of knowledge, um, good place to come is check out my LinkedIn page. Do it. I, I regularly engage with him and I will just say on Monday, he posted something incredibly controversial and all the accountants came and flocked 
and had opinions about it. So he he likes to stir the pot. As, no, I'm just kidding. You're not really much of a <laughs> pot stirrer. But yeah, my name's on Michael. <laughs> right. But fun fact, he is going to be on the show next week. We're super nice. excited for that. Um, but yes, I would highly recommend go check out LinkedIn for my friend Zane. We interact uh, on a regular basis too. So if you don't know where he's at, I'm sure I've commented on his stuff at some point. So Zane, yep. thank you give, again. Give, give Tony a follow, hit his bell. Make sure you follow that up. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel. Give it a watch, give it a like. That's right. Uh, That's right. Great content. It's really, really great stuff on, on, on this channel. So, so do yourself a favor and subscribe. Appreciate that, Zane. I did not pay him to say that. I promise you. <laughs> uh, Zane, thank you again so much. And thank you, everybody who tuned in today. I know we had a couple live viewers, which was awesome. And I hope everybody who listened found value in our episode today. So if you have a pressing accounting question that you would like answered by future guests, you can go ahead and email me at Tony at equip.com. That's A-C-C-Q-U-I-P. Dot com. Also, if you are an accounting professional or know somebody who is an accounting professional who'd like to be on the show, please go ahead and reach out to me as well. Again, I want to say thank you, Zane, to you. Thank you to our audience for listening. And as always, keep calm and keep your clothes on. <laughs>